live from Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Studio A in Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. Joining me here in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, who served that last count under four presidents. He's Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And live from Boca del Vista, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the one we know as Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral Ken. Hello, Justin. How are you? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Okay. Uh we want to talk about, and uh, we've got others that are going to be joining us here later in this episode and probably uh, the other show that comes on live, if you're listening to us on Twitter after this show. Uh, I want to start off in talking about a subject that's kind of grasped the international view over the past week. Uh, the tragic events that happened in Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, 50 murdered, 50 injured in a targeted mass shooting at two different mosques in uh, the small coastal community on the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, it, the mosque shooter videotaped it live on Facebook, on uh, even on Twitter, I believe. And... Uh, also joining us here on the line from a remote spot, he is Dan Lipner, Esquire. Dan, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. And uh, going on with uh, kind of setting up the segment, uh, 50, wor- 50 worshipers were killed in these two mosque shootings. And basically what we've got is a deranged white supremacist, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, uh, who videotaped it live and then placed it on various social media. Uh, the the prime minister of New Zealand, uh, the, the uh, prime minister of New Zealand, uh, Prime Minister uh, Ardern, has refused to mention this guy's name. We will also follow suit with that. We're not going to give this guy any more publicity than he needs. Uh, But it does bring up the fact that this guy, prior to the shootings, posted a 70-page ranting, what he calls a manifesto, which was riddled with white nationalist and white supremacy thoughts, ideals, uh, even at some cases invoke the name of our president, right or wrong. Uh, but this is a continuation of targeted violence brought on by the ideals and the global media outreach of what can only be called nationalism and more specifically white nationalism. Um, Dan Lipner, let me start with you. We've we've heard critics of the media saying the fact that they were uh, calling this an act of white nationalism and white supremacy, and that they're just painting with a very large brush on this. Uh, is is there any accuracy to this? Are, are are we generalizing what is what could be considered nationalism in these discussions? 
I mean, using the, I haven't seen the quotes directly, but every, all the reporting suggests that the perpetrator's words and actions and motivations were all surrounded by uh, white nationalism and a, a version of white supremacy and more directly seeing it as a, as a, as white nationalism at war with Islam. That's what his words were. And that said, it's also on the rise everywhere. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. If somebody can name a country on the planet where uh, nationalist sentiment is not on the rise, I would gladly take uh, that as a, as, a sh as a sign of hope somewhere. But I believe it's on the rise in every country on the planet. So, Admiral Ken, when we talk about this upswing in nationalistic fervor, even going so far to call it white nationalism, you know, as Dan pointed out, we're seeing an uptick in it in places like England, France, Belgium, uh, places that we didn't expect to see it in places like Australia, New Zealand. Uh, it's starting to swing up. Is it? Is there a single point of blame, or can we just say that this is all based on uh, a progressive blame towards the United States, starting with Charlottesville and working its way forward? Well, um, I think I think any any honest person um, m might be hard pressed to point at any one event. Um, as being the tipping point to to starting what I what I would agree uh, in with Dan's Dan's assessment as being the uh, the the wave of white nationalism that seems to be um, washing washing across a great many countries in the world. Uh, I'd be hard pressed to point to one event. Um, I, I think more than anything else, there's probably something akin to a series of event events. I think that. Um, you know, when 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 times are hard, um, it's it's easy to point to a scapegoat and and give them reason for uh, make them the reason for times being difficult. I go back to um, uh, Adolf Hitler, you know, back in the 1930s, pointing at the Jews um, and saying that they were the reasons for Germany's um, prior economic difficulties. Um, you know, coming off of the um, the financial crisis of twenty uh, two thousand eight, you know, the, when 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 the United States gets a cold, the rest of the world gets a flu, and I think that um, times have been difficult, and I think it's been you know. But Admiral Ken, let me let me just jump in real quick. Relatively when, easy. When, when we talk about when we talk <clears throat> about nationalism, you know, it's almost are we painting in. A brush that could go either way. I mean, there are people that that say that you know, one man's national pride is another man's white supremacy, or one man's uh, I, I pride in national. I think it, I think it depends on what country you're in. I think if you're in a country like the United States, uh, or Great Britain, or France, or Australia, or New Zealand, where you have a preponderance of, of people who are not people of color, then it's probably easy to say that you know it's quote white nationalism versus just 
versus nationalism if you're having the same kind of feelings of, you know, keeping outsiders, xenophobic feelings of keeping other people out of your country. Say if you're an African uh, country, you could you could easily be accused of, of being a black nationalist. I think I think the issue here is, is, is just is quite simple. We are seeing uh, right now um, globally, and I think here in the U.S., um, a, a real level of animus toward uh, outsiders, uh, toward people of color. Uh, I, and I think that, you know, to look look for reasons to blame it on, I think it's just, you know, we, we all want to see, want to know why is this happening, why is this happening right now, rather than, look, the fact of the matter is we're here, and the real question is what what can we do about it? I, mean, uh, I, I, will, I will tell you, uh, Justin, you know, I'll be 60 years old this year. I grew up in the South. This is the first. This is the first time in my life where I've been legitimately afraid for my safety, no matter where I am, whether it's Washington D.C. or here in Boca del Vista. Alan Moore, it it, it strikes me that that we're we're playing a, a dangerous game, almost of semantics. Again, I go back to the the comment of one man's national pride is another man's uh, bias. Do we have the luxury right now of? disseminating that sort of context, or how do we do it, if we can? I'm not, I'm not sure I got the question, but let me just make a, a couple of comments, because I, I agree with Dan and, um, and and the Admiral both that, that there is an uptick in nationalism. Sometimes it's white nationalism, depends on the country. If you're in the Middle East, it's religious nationalism, where you have uh, Sunni versus Shia. Um, if you're in uh, in the former uh, Yugoslavia, and I remember traveling in in Croatia and Bosnia at it, it, it towards the end of the hostilities there, it was white against white, but it was religious um, nationalism, and it led to. Um, Genocidal tendencies, murder, destruction, and so on. Uh, clearly, in the case of New Zealand, it, it there's a racial element and and religious. There's a lot of anti-Muslim feeling, and the people who were targeted tend to be from the Middle East. Tend to be darker. There are white Muslims too, um, but there's this this fear. Of Muslim that's of Muslims and, and fear of Islam that they want to quote take over our country and impose. Um, they typically use the term Sharia law, even though they don't understand what what but, Sharia, but, Sharia law but is. But let me just interject one thing, and and again, let me just be clear on one thing. I am by no means condoning any of this. This is just a, a a commentary show where we ask questions for debate to get to the logical answers. But the question I have for you, Alan, is when we look at are we we back up a little bit? Are we too quick to paint nationalism as terrorism and racism or religious bigotry or even just political ideology? Well, I, I, it. it there there are nas- there's there's national pride and in america there are a lot of different people of different religions and and ethnic backgrounds who at different times in their lives have felt proud proud to be americans um but as ken points out what what he's feeling now in this rise of 
white nationalism in the United States, as a black man, he has fears that are new when he travels the country. And I remember in, in, in times past, he said for all the th- that he'd always thought we'd been making progress in America. He can obviously speak for himself, but but he's begun to wonder whether we've backslid and we're, we're in, a, in a worse place. And this comment he just made about fears that he's had that, that he hadn't had before, sometimes in D.C., sometimes in Florida where he lives. But, but as they have both pointed out, in Europe – where they, it can be called white nationalism, but, but it's also um, historic um, nation, uh, a kind of historic nationalism. It's the various countries that have felt like they didn't control their borders that allowed hundreds of thousands of refugees to come in without any real filter, without any real barrier. We it was only a year and a half ago, or or, or a couple of years that we that that Germany was being applauded for its generosity in letting so many folks from Northern Africa come in, and that has ended up changing the politics in Germany. Um, people demanding that some of that that they have they exercise better control at the borders and that they deport some of the people who've let in and and France and Belgium um, uh, but, but, oh, and Italy are, are experiencing the same thing let me ask this question and, and Dan I want to ask you is when we look at a, a culture like the US I mean one would argue that we have made or the the immigrant community those who have come here whether it's let Latin America, whether it's from Africa, the Far East, wherever, are able to integrate into our society a lot better than they are, let's say, in France, which is where we see a lot of upheaval. Uh, But at the same time, it seems that we're putting a lot of the focus in this nationalism movement here in the United States. Are, Are we the cause or are we the effect in this? Well, for starters, I think we, we need to define terms a little bit better. So the the question between nationalism and patriotism is part of the argument. And in the United States, the difference there is a bit more distinct than it is in other places. We are a country uh, full of immigrants, unless you are Native Americans. None of our ancestors are from here. And so that identity is not as linked to the soil as it is with someplace in, say, France. Or I mean, I have relatives in Denmark. These are places that were, before there was serious global travel, were fairly homogeneous for a few millennia. It's a different thing. Um, So for this kind of nationalist identity to be growing in this country is a different creature. And the immigrant waves that that pushed Europe uh, from North Africa in response it is a different entity. Whereas this country, we have a full history of immigration wave after, after immigration wave. While there has been pushback, not pushback like we're seeing right now. There is no, the pushback isn't based on a singular event other than the, the nationalist identity kind of revolving around a singular person to to unify 
that that group. And this is not to say Donald Trump created this nationalist fervor, but he definitely created a center of gravity for it to surround itself. And, and, and Dan, I, I would say, I'm sorry, I, I would say ahead. that while, while Donald Trump did not create it, he, he capitalized on it. He um, he, um, he 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 rode. Uh, that was part of. That was one of the four legs on the horse that he rode into the White House. Uh, he has exacerbated um, those feelings uh, dramatically, and I think to suggest Wait. that he is not he is not a, a, a prime mover in in in, uh, in, in what 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 uh, the xenophobia that grips the country right now would just be a denial of, of just 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 plain fact. We, we, but Admiral Ken, we've been dealing with this problem for decades. Uh, you know, t- Donald Trump wasn't around when Timothy McVeigh drove a rider truck in front of a federal building in Oklahoma City. What do you uh, mean he wasn't around? He, he wasn't the president. He was not telegraphing the way he yeah, but is. Timothy, uh, I guess I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time following your rationale. This Timothy McVeigh wasn't was wasn't a. Uh... Um, he was. He was. An, he was. A, no. No. What I'm saying is, he was a white nationalist. We've been dealing with white nationalism prior to uh, the I'm Donald. Sorry, I missed yeah, okay, we, I'm he's been dealing. Okay. With, we've been dealing with this since before Donald Trump. It just seems that are we putting too much? Uh, are, are we blaming this administration for too much of what we're seeing, or is it in fact the cause of the dog whistle? I, I would say that that I would agree with you that white nationalism has been around a lot longer than Timothy McVeigh. If you're a black man growing in the South in the 1960s, you, you know this to be very true. But what we have for the first time in my uh, in, in in my uh, awakened years is a is is a national leader. Uh, aided and abetted by a good number of uh, of people in a in a in a national political party that are are making hay of this and not tamping it down as it has been done in previous administrations. What we have is 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 I guess young people uh, in their twenties who've had no reason to um, to to have any kind of animus racially toward anybody that are basically singing sound. sound uh, yelling loud and proud, uh, as evidenced by the the folks carrying those torches down in Charlottesville, um, animus toward toward uh, uh, people from the outside of the U.S. Alan Moore, you agree with the, uh, Admiral Kent? Well, I I think that that uh, I I mostly do uh, agree. I think when when it's important when we we talk about the U.S. to to remember our history because. Although we have always subjugated, uh, we we subjugated African Americans before the Civil War and after the Civil War, um, and and there is still an enormous amount of racism in the United States. Uh, it's not uh, unique to the to the South. The country's changed, but the ability to be more open, uh, sadly, uh, seems to be on the rise. I hold our president responsible, as Ken uh, said, and I don't think Dan disagrees here, for exacerbating uh, that, for drawing people out, for making these views, which maybe were nascent, quiet, uh, making them more acceptable. As for the young people, I'm sorry to say that a lot of those folks, I think, were raised in homes uh, where some of this uh, this feeling was present, but but 
kids were told, no, you don't talk about that, you don't show it. I don't know. It's complicated. Um, in our history, we didn't always just uh, uh, put blacks down we also uh, there was a time when when it was the irish who need not apply and the italians who need not apply and jews who were not allowed um uh in in the in the lead up to world war ii but your question i think is is america responsible in any way for what's going on around the world and and i think that that we got to be really careful in saying that this movement whether it's uh, the the killings in in New Zealand some years ago in in Norway um, which 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 had a, a a racial element to it are somehow our fault I'm not buying that I'm not saying that 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 the that I I want to give the president a free pass I don't think that this stuff is happening because of a president um, who has played on these tendencies and biases. What I wish we had was a president who would speak out against them, who would take some leadership to to say, this cannot stand, this is wrong. Not there are good people on both sides, but this is wrong, it's dangerous, it's damaging to America, it's damaging to uh, to democratic countries around the world, and we need to join together so, to figure out how to stop so it. Actually, Alan's point is important. That is actually the biggest difference. Traditionally, an American president has been that voice of leadership around the world to confront this. While occasionally U.S. actions have not always backed the words, the words have almost uniformly been opposed to those nationalist actions wherever they occurred around the globe. But Dan, you this have president a president- noteworthy silent. Dan, you have a president right now in the latest poll that has at least an 80% approval rating in his own, in his own party. I mean, do we insinuate the fact that there are 80% of registered Republicans in the United States that will at mo- at least uh, be indifferent to his stance on this, at most will embrace it? I mean, I'm the Democrat here, so I've been saying for a long, long time the Republican Party is broken and somebody's got to fix it from the inside out. Uh, I, I would gladly welcome. I'll, I'll take that, that question. Back. Go ahead. I'll Ad- take that question. Go ahead, Admiral Ken. So, just, just you know, I, I live, like I said, I live here in Boca del Vista, which is an extremely red uh, part of the state. Um, I am, um, I am, um, I am in a family, a very diverse family that has you know people from both parties in it, and, and very outspoken. And so, I would tell you that, yeah. Indifferent, um, uh, tone deaf, uh, not willing to listen to uh, the other sides of, of most of the arguments, um, and I think, quite frankly, the, the the group of people that that that, that I've run into that impressed me with um, this this tone deafness the most are the evangelicals. Um, you know, you know, in one hand, you know, they're 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 praising uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, on a Sunday. And turning around and not holding this person um, uh, to task for the things that he does that are not in Christ's image, and I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Um, and I think you know one of the conversations I've had in the last 
in the last uh, 30 days or so is on the subject of double standards. Uh, and I, you know, I, I was asked, you know, what is your issue with the president? And I said, my issue with the president is that he has his his reign is replete with double standards. And I have an issue with that because in 32 years of service, I didn't have the luxury of having a, of being able to operate with a double standard. More often, I was the victim of one. So um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But yeah, to answer your question, they are going to ignore and in some cases uh, go along with it. Alan Moore. Yeah, so I, I think it's a, another huge mistake to say that some of the worst things about this president are embraced by all Republicans. There are plenty of Republicans who hold their nose to some of his worst tendencies, even as they like what's going on in the economy. They but wouldn't like, that be considered complacency with it? It's 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 life. It's the complications of life. But if you if you basically say. I like where the economy is. I give him some of the credit. I like what's happening in the courts. I give him credit. I like what he's trying to do regarding immigration. Forget the ugly talk, but just improve controls along the border. I like the fact that he speaks his mind and doesn't try to be politically correct, even though, as I said before, I wish he would. Even though it's dangerous. Like, even though, well, they, I don't know that they know that, think of it as dangerous, but it's embarrassing. It, it isn't, it's harmful to the cause. And then the issue of abortion. These are issues that, that, that are really important to a lot of Republicans. So they, <laughs> they, they may not like the, some of the talk, some of the language. The tweets, the attitude, the ignorance, the 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 tough talk sometimes internationally that does harm tariffs, um, but by and large, most of these people will say, "I'm glad he's president rather than Hillary Clinton," and and hence they approve of him, but not everything he right. does, and not necessarily this stuff. Right? No, no, no. That, that, that that's too soft on that. So there, there's a, a couple items. One, there's a quote worth remembering. And the quote is, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. For some of that ugly talk that this president has purveyed, th there are victims and there are people who acted on that ugly talk. And the fact that Ken is, is asserting that he now what? feels unsafe is something to make note of. And, in and addition, the, the, the fighting words this president used recently talking about the people with guns in this country are supporting him. That sounded a little to me like if my side wants to have a voice in this game, we better start packing heat. Right. That is dangerous, dangerous rhetoric. Right. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll add on, I'll pile on, you know, uh, I don't remember the gentleman who said it, but you know, all it takes is for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Right. And I don't see a lot of good men doing a whole lot right now. We're going to have a we're going to have a discussion about uh, the president. And, you know, are we too hard on him? Are we expecting too much on a later show this week? Uh, with that being said, we're going to go to break. When we come back and talk about something a little bit more positive is has the Mueller report kicked into gear is Congress finally working together? We'll discuss that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Stay with us. Now I'm disgusted. I found him out. Had a showdown. But I think 
think of him, how much I love him. I get a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in and he packed and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. We are in Studio A at Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown. Uh, Rob, the engineer, keeping us honest behind the glass. Charlie, also behind the glass, our fine host here at Podcast Village. Dan Lipner and Admiral Ken joining us on the Google Hangout and in studio with me, as always, Alan Moore. Uh, we want to change subjects a little bit, go to something a little bit lighter. Is uh, In case you missed it, there was a unanimous vote, almost unanimous, in the House last week when a uh, non-binding resolution came before the floor of the House and in a 460 to 0 vote, the House put out a non-binding resolution saying that uh, the Mueller report, once released to the Attorney General, should be made public in its entirety, Uh, which led me to believe that I, I can't remember in the past two and a half, three years, a unanimous vote like this. Alan, has there been one, or am I... 
I don't remember if there has been. Uh, there might have been some other vote that meant absolutely nothing. That, that Well, this that one every... technically means absolutely nothing. My point. <laughs> that is my point. It's it, a complete piece of nonsense. Um, which and, is, and, with this, I, the point I'm trying to get at is, you know, it was bipartisan. Nobody was sniping at anything. Precisely it, my point. Okay. It's a nothing. Really? Yes. It's a nothing. It, it's, a, it's a sense of the Congress resolution that a report that no one has seen and no one to- knows what's in and no one has heard yet from the attorney general in terms of what he's going to do to make it available, saying it's a free shot, it's a free vote. And so, let, but it, it's an illusion if you think that it means they're working together. Dan Lipner, Dan Lipner, are we being a little too harsh on Congress? Or, you know, because all we see in the media these days are stories of, well, they're killing each other, they're, they're sniping each other, they're name-calling, the demagoguery is flowing. You know, in a, in a time when the, the viciousness in politics, we see this, and is this maybe a kickstart to some better news coming out of the Hill? Well, I wouldn't go with uh, kickstart to better news uh, on the Hill. However, it is a good sign. I think uh, Alan is understating it a little bit. Um, if for no other reason, then there was already some previous posturing, at least by the administration, uh, to uh, possibly keep the Mueller report under wraps when it comes out. And also worth noting, the, the resolution also said that to keep everything public that was not classified from the Mueller report uh, to make it public. So they did actually offer that clarification, which is not unreasonable considering we are talking about international espionage could be involved as well, involving classified sources. But the Republicans that were present for this vote, I think, deserved some credit for at least ignoring the political posturing from the White House and saying, Yes, there is something that deserves to see the light of day. Now, the real question is, once the attorney general gets to chime in and act once he has his hands on the report, if the attorney general goes in a different position and then Republicans potentially have to backtread on on their own vote on this resolution, which now becomes the question. And by the way, the the four Republicans that Dan was referring to were uh, Representative Justin Amosh out of Michigan, uh, Representative Matt Gates out of uh, Florida, uh, Thomas Massey out of Kentucky, and Paul Gosar of Arizona. Uh, in case you didn't know, those are usually the four usual suspects that we see as mouthpieces for the White House on the Hill. Amosh? Uh, yeah, no, no, actually, no, no, I take no. that back. No. Justin Amash is gone, but but G- Gates, Gates, Massey, and and Ghosts are are pretty much in lockstep with with the White House. The real question comes when, as as Dan points out, if if the report is 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 made public only in part, and the House moves to try to subpoena those pieces that that were were not released, how Republicans would vote? Let me tell you, they won't be in lockstep with Democrats. What what? what why not? Do they do they want to put their name uh, as hiding a report that could you're, pro- you're jumping to the conclusion that they're going to be quote hiding a report when we don't know what's in it, what's released, and what's held back? 
So it's an easy, so, free uh, vote. But but let's learn what's what happens with the report. Let's see what the attorney general does. Let's figure out what we think is in it that wasn't made public, if there are parts that aren't, and then see what people do with it. It's just it was a freebie. It was a, it, for me. It was it was symbolic only and and not much of a symbol. I don't give anybody credit. Admiral, can you agree? Um, your question lost airspeed and altitude at with the words non-binding doesn't mean anything. I agree with Alan. All right, Dan. I mean, considering some Republicans failed on voting against the, or voting in favor of the resolution that basically said they were against racism. Uh, a group led by Lynn Cheney said that wasn't enough for them because they w- would rather just go against Omar directly. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. It might not be much, but at least it's something. Uh, but at the same time, Alan, we, you look at Lindsey Grant. If, it, if it's that unbinding, if it's that useless, Lindsey, did Lindsey Graham, what did Lindsey Graham gain when he said, I'm not doing this, I'm not voting for this, unless you agree to appoint a second special counsel to investigate how DOJ handled the Clinton email? Well, the the Senate has a whole different set of rules, and one person can stand up and say, I object. Um, and he made his conditions known, and there was no one prepared to 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 move in the direction of, of his conditions. It was a momentary uh, little hiccup in terms of, gee, the House passed it unanimously, and Lindsey Graham has stepped up to stop it. I think he's basically calling it out for being nothing, and he thought, maybe I can get something out of this non-binding nothing, uh, something that's meaningful to me, and it failed, it went away, and I don't think we'll hear more about it, assuming we get the report fairly soon, assuming the attorney general gets it and then decides what to do with it, then we'll, then we'll know what we're dealing with, and then congressional action will actually mean something. What on earth does he expect to get out of the a special counsel on Hillary Clinton's emails? They've already, both the House and Senate have already investigated, and the FBI has investigated if you want to talk about political posturing and nothing, Lindsey Graham trying to resurrect the ghosts of elections past that no longer matter. No, 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 no. He's, he wants to look at the at, at the whole report that that uh, that McCabe uh, uh, talked about of how Rod Rosenstein and others wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment. Um, now, I think he's going to be able to look into that. Um, <coughs> Uh, as chairman of the the Senate Judiciary Committee, he wanted a special counsel. I don't agree with that, but it was just it was it was the particular uh, tactic that he took, rather than simply say no. It, it it just to me, none of it means very much. Admiral Ken, I I I, I agree with Alan. And the only thing that I would say is, you know, Lindsey Graham uh, is is very much a disappointment. Um, there's a there's several four letter words I could use to describe Lindsey right now, but I'll just settle for tool. Well, I mean, why? Well, I mean, Lindsey Graham, if anything, has been a stalwart of the party, backing the party, and been the voice of the party. And quite frankly, Lindsey Graham represents 80% of the voices in the party itself. And he's putting the party ahead of country, and that's not good. 
Alan Moore. Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about Graham before. I have have a little different view. Um, I think we all have, I think part of the problem is that when the things Lindsey Graham said when he was running for president about our current president, Trump, uh, seemed to reflect uh, the feelings many, many of us had. Uh, and then he walked away from those. Um, and and I've tried to figure that out myself. The, 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 the convenient answer is, well, he wants to get reelected down the road. No question that reelection is on the minds of, of everybody, Republicans and Democrats. But the thing that I think gets missed, and it's written about in Bob Woodward's book, it's written about in the recent profile of Graham in, in the New York Times Magazine, is that he wants to, in his words, be relevant. Now, what does that mean? In, to Lindsey Graham, it means that his friendship with President Trump means that he's one of a handful, a small handful of people that the president will call on major international issues and the president will actually listen to him. Graham knows how to get him to listen. And I believe that that Lindsey Graham. How do you say that, Alan? He hasn't. Could I just finish, please? Grief. That I believe that Lindsey Graham played a key role in convincing the president to back off his plan to withdraw everybody from Syria. And I think there are other international. I think on on North Korea, Lindsey Graham has has had impact. He could continue to. Justin, I'm just talking about stuff that's that that you have to look for. You don't have to believe Bob Woodward's book. You don't have to. It's not to, Bob Woodward's book. You don't book. have to. You don't have to. That describes some of the stuff I'm talking about, or Mark Leibovich's uh, major profile about Lindsey Graham. But Lindsey Graham has influence on this president in foreign policy, and I'm glad of that. With the exception of Saudi Arabia. He has not listened to Lindsey Graham. He's not the president, Justin. But the question is, does the president even talk to him? They have a fundamental disagreement on Saudi Arabia, no question. But I'll bet that that Graham's quiet, behind-the-scenes advice to the president at least makes the president wonder. People get mad that Lindsey Graham isn't out talking and trashing the president constantly. He could do that, and the president would never call him again. It's a decision he made. I'm glad of it. I'm glad that he has the president's ear because I think he's a smart guy with good judgment on this stuff, and the president doesn't have enough of those and doesn't listen enough. Wow. Well, there, there, Dan Lipner first. There. What's that? So, so Paul Ryan, on his way out the door, uh, supposedly, I, I don't know where the quote came from, said that uh, when, he was, when he was challenged for not uh, challenging the president more, he apparently said quietly, you don't know the horrible things that I stopped. And if that's the position that Alan believes that Lindsey Graham is in, just trying to be at the table to stop the horrible things, since as far as what we know from being that been reported, the other people the president talks to all the time are Fox News hosts, including Sean Hannity. So uh, Lindsey Graham being at the table over Sean Hannity, yeah, I will take that in a heartbeat. Um, the question is the cost <laughs> and the cost of still standing there and not saying the emperor has no clothes. 
that's an interesting political dynamic that Lindsey Graham is supposedly taking upon himself. And maybe this is a profile in courage to look like a coward you, and an idiot to the rest of the country on behalf of the rest of the country to ensure that so the voice of sanity so you're is suggesting, at the table. You're suggesting that, that also might be too little. But you're suggesting that Dan, that that Lindsey Graham is in fact taking a bullet for the nation by singing the praises of the president. That is arguably the case. I don't know if I if I would back that, and I don't know if I would say the political advantage for him personally is equal to what the country is losing as a whole if he were actually positioning himself as a leader and taking the political hit within his own party and within his own state. It's a real question, but I'm not quite at the level of calling it a profile of courage, but I can see the argument. Admiral Ken? I think that we're overthinking this. Uh, I think Alan Alan hit the nail right on the head when he, when he started his explanation of his position by stating that Lindsey Graham wants to remain relevant, period, in the story. He wants to remain relevant because it appeals to his ego to remain relevant, and it probably helps his, his reelection um, chances. But I'm not willing to extend that beyond that. I, again, I, I, you're talking to a person who's just got a real issue with duplicity. I, I, I can't handle it in, in any way, shape, or form. And what, I, what I've seen from him, uh, especially, especially his silence this weekend when the president was making some of the most god-awful treats about a guy who is dead, who, you know, he talks about John McCain not, uh, being last in his class. Donald Trump couldn't even dream of getting into the Naval Academy, let alone uh, serve in his country in uniform. Uh, I, and Lindsey Graham was 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 completely silent. So, he was yeah. not silent. You better look it up, Ken. He was not silent. Okay. All right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't Alan, I, what, you know, Alan, I didn't see anything. So. Alan, what, what, no, what did he say, Alan? Well, what he said w- was. This man was, a, no matter what anyone says, he did not mention the president, and he took some f- flack for that. He said, no, no, no matter what anyone says, this man was a great patriot who made major sacrifices for, for his country and was one of the greatest senators in our history. Nothing will change that. And in that regard, I, re, I, I stand corrected, but, no, but on nothing else of what I just stated. No, that's fair. Uh, which brings us up, and we might as well bring it up in case you didn't see it. President over the weekend went on just a Twitter tirade on everybody from Fox News, his own personal TV network, to uh, John McCain and his legacy, uh, to uh, fake news, fake media. Uh, It was all over the place, and it was... I hate to use the word odd because we can't use that anymore, but there was over two dozen, two and a half dozen tweets. I think it was 50. 50. Was it 50? 50, tweet, 50 tweets, 30 original, 20 re- retweets, I believe. I, I, don't even, I don't even read stuff I enjoy 50 times, let alone 50 tweets by the president. My God. Um, the, 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 the question then comes up is... Uh, when we see this, it does when he calls out who he calls out, including former members of his own party and current members of his own party, it, wouldn't that be wouldn't it be logical that this would at least get Congress to start working together and saying, okay, you know what? 
Let him be him. Let him do his thing. But if this country is going to survive, we have to work together regardless. We kind of saw it a little bit with the veto of the emergency declaration that happened this weekend when the president instituted his first veto of his presidency. Does it does it logic dictate that the Congress could do more by working together instead of this whole emperor's no clothes thing? Alan Moore. The, 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 con- the, the Congress is considerably divided, and even more so now that we're, there we're gearing up uh, a presidential uh, election for 2020, and half a dozen senators uh, happen to be candidates. Um, but but the, the problem is, and you see it with the, the declaration of the emergency, where um, 12 Republicans voted with all of the Democrats in the Senate to oppose the president's declaration. Um, but they lack the votes for the two-thirds that you need to override a presidential veto. So th- that was an interesting test because you you had uh, a very clear, a supermajority, if you will, who voted against the president, not enough to override him. And that's the problem. There's, there's two problems for Republicans um, in the Senate. One, the president can veto stuff he doesn't like, so you need— you need uh, to to have the two-thirds vote to override for it to, to make a lot of difference. And B, there's a political cost associated with going up against the president. This president has obviously shown a great willingness to attack members of his own party. You need the right issue. You need the right situation. or And or you need a president— to be persuaded, and this this president, one of the problems with him is sometimes you think you've persuaded him to do something, and then he changes on a on a dime. Um, but but you know, there's a, there's a that, there's an issue that... right now regarding uh, our support of uh, U.S. support of the 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 of Saudi Arabia side in Yemen um, that's. Uh, coming into to becoming a challenge for for the president because there's a lot of sentiment among Republicans that that our current policy there is a mistake but it's it depends on the issue but to su- simply suggest gee can't they all get together and 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 have a great moment and and roll the president there aren't I don't see the issues out there right now that are going to generate uh, th- that kind of uh, sentiment and the president's not an idiot, even though he can do some really stupid things. Um, you know, he, he's got a strong desire for self-preservation, too. Dan Lipner. So first, and much to my surprise, uh, the votes that went with the president or against the president, just on the Republican side, the Democrats were all voted against the, the president's uh, use of emergency powers. Uh, of the 12 Republicans that voted against the president, only one of those Republicans is up for re-election. That was surprising to me. I was expecting at the bare minimum uh, Cory Gardner out of Colorado to have uh, voted against it, but instead he decided to vote with the president, suggesting that the president's 80% approval rating within the Republican Party uh, was Cory Gardner's final uh determining factor, assuming he did wasn't voting on principle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was not, since he had spoken previously that uh, he, he, he found the emergency declaration challenging. Uh, the one senator that did vote against it, uh, 
Susan Collins, which good for her, but she's also from a state that that is purple and she's been an independent voice for a while. All of that said, the Senate also did take an additional uh, step to vote against the U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's uh, little in foreign incursions as well. So it was just the position of the Senate. I believe it was unanimous uh, for all the senators that voted saying that the U.S. should no longer assist uh, Saudi Arabia at its current military actions it's taking. Uh, yeah, that's in the Yemen. Yemen that I was talking right. about. Yep. So, it, so, but it, it wasn't just a casual statement. There's actually there were actually votes cast on this, but still, it comes back to the profiles and courage. When is enough enough? When are people willing to stake their political lives on standing up against this president, saying, "I will take the political loss in order to speak truth to power"? And yeah, what Alan's saying is, you have to pick your moments. You can't have those die in the hill battles every fight. I just haven't seen any fight where any Republicans willing to die on the hill for what is actually right. And I would still long see those moments of somebody standing up for those positions that they right. actually held to be true. Right. Well, uh, it's interesting how you you were very dismissive of the 12 who voted uh, against the president on on uh, on the resolution. I mean, you might want to give them just since you since you seem inclined to give them a credit, a little bit of credit for voting for a non-binding resolution on the Mueller report. Maybe you could be generous enough to give them just a smidgen of credit in this case. No, no, I am giving the ones that voted for it a smidgen of credit. Unfortunately, that also includes folks like Lamar Alexander, who's right. not running for re-election. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, now, yeah, close it out real quick. Uh, hey, by the way, I want to, I want to do, say, I want to say something nice about Fox News. Uh, since we last broadcasted or recorded our show, uh, Fox News has pulled Judge uh, Judge Jeannie Pirro from their roles after she made what can only be called. Uh, a religiously insensitive, a religiously just stupid comment on bigoted, her show. Bigoted, 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 I think it's all right, we'll go with bigoted. Uh, which, uh, which again, you know, the president showing his colors based on our last segment, the president has reached out to Fox News calling for, tweeted, over the weekend, that they should bring Judge Gene back, uh, but kudos to Fox News for for standing up for that. I got to give them credit, but uh, shame on the president for pushing to bring her back, calling it an act of the radical left Democrats. That's just a shame. Uh, on behalf of uh, Admiral Ken Denenbokovel Vista, Dan Lipner, uh, I guess you're in the in the nursery. Dan, is that true? Dan's not there. No, I'm not in the nursery. Okay. Uh, Alan Moore here in the studio with me. Uh, Rob the Engineer, thank you as always. Oh, he's outside. Thank you. There he is. I wish you could see. Oh, he's smoking a cigar. I hate you. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. I'm going to go smoke a cigar. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our website. Get all the historical documents, backroompolitics.org. Uh, you can download us on your favorite podcast uh, service, whether it's Google Podcasts, iTunes, or even Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. 
Uh, Charlie, thanks for hosting us, and we will see you next time on the best political talk you never heard of, Backroom Politics. Take care. Well,